Hey, greetings, everyone. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West here, and welcome to the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast. Greetings, I'm Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. In my career from the battlefield of Congress, honor and integrity have always been my compass. When it comes to building a precious metals portfolio for my family, I choose United Patriot Corps. Their commitment to honesty and transparency aligns with everything I stand for. They care about our great country and focus on serving patriots from all walks of life. They've teamed up with veterans of the precious metals market to create a new kind of gold dealer designed to serve the needs of a new type of gold buyer. And that's why I know I can trust them when it comes time to buy my gold and silver. If you value honesty and reliability as I do, then join me. It's the month of February, and for me, it's a birthday month. Turned 63 this month, hanging in there. Ronald Reagan's birthday is this month, George Washington. So we have President's Day. But what we really have started to focus on in the month of February is a thing called Black History Month. And, you know, some people say, well, Colonel, do we really need a black history? I think it's important that we remember and we start to celebrate achievements and accomplishments and, you know, some of the things that have happened in our respective communities that help us to be e pluribus unum. But there has to be some type of foundation, some common goals, principles and values that we have in celebrating these months. You know, you have Hispanic American Month, Asian Pacific Heritage Month, you have Women's History Month. Uh, you ain't gonna talk about that, you know, one month where there are all these rainbow flags come out. Unless you're talking about the real reason of the rainbow, which is God's promise to man, to Noah. But I don't think that's what the rainbow month is all about. It's about perversion and weirdness, sexualizing children. But in this month of February, and I, and I recently wrote a piece about it, and it was called The Delusional Pandering Panacea of Singing a Song. Because that was a great Super Bowl, as a matter of fact. I mean, going into overtime and having the walk-off touchdown by the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is really, you know, setting himself up there to be one of the GOATs, greatest of all time when it comes to NFL quarterbacks. But it was what happened at the beginning of the Super Bowl that I want to talk to us about. And that's the whole reason why I wrote this piece, the delusional pandering panacea of singing a song. Because there are some people that believe that all of a sudden we need to sing this 
lift every voice and sing the Negro National Anthem all over the place. Now it's at the Super Bowl. And I just think that's a pandering panacea. I, th I think that, you know, supposedly singing this song is supposed to make us feel great. I feel so warm. I feel so fantastic. And, and, and understand this. I grew up in the inner city of Atlanta, Georgia, the same neighborhood where Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was born and raised, the old Fourth Ward community. My church, our, uh, my church, Fort Street United, my church, Fort Street United Methodist Church, was on Boulevard Avenue. And all of these great civil rights rooted churches were there on Boulevard. And Boulevard took you to Auburn Avenue, and of course, at the intersection of Boulevard and Auburn Avenue, that's where you had Ebenezer Baptist Church. The oldest black Catholic church was also on Boulevard, Our Lady of Lourdes. And that's where I, I went to elementary school, Our Lady of Lourdes Catholic Church School. So every service, conclusion of every service at Fort Street United Methodist Church growing up as a kid, at the end of the service, we sang Lift Every Voice and Sing. I mean, we, we sang it as a spiritual. We sang it as something to close our, our, our church service out. But it's not up there the same as our national anthem. It's just not. I, and I don't see why we try to equate it as such. I, like I said, it's some pandering panacea. Oh, if we sing Lift Every Voice and Sing before the you know, NBA finals or before the Super Bowl or before Daytona, I don't know, it's supposed to make us feel good. No. It's because now, okay, so if we got a black national anthem, what's the white national anthem? Uh-oh. Colonel, you can't say that. Of course I can't. Well, what's the Asian national anthem? And oh, by the way, the Asian national anthem, well, then maybe will the Japanese like it? Will the Koreans like it? Will the Chinese like it? Will the Filipinos like it? Will the Samoans like it? You know, how do we come up with an Asian national anthem? How about a Hispanic national anthem? Well, you know, will the Mexicans like it or the Venezuelans? Will they like it or the Puerto Ricans like it or the, you know, Colombians like it? I, I don't know. Or the Hondurans, Ecuadorians. See, this is the, 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 the pandering panacea that we need to move away from. And then all of a sudden, I mean, what about the Dutch? Do they get a national anthem? I mean, after all, I mean, New York, that was settled by the Dutch until the English came along. I mean, Wall Street was, you know, built by the Dutch as a fortification there. That's why they call it Wall. Or how about a German national anthem? Do we need to have a German national anthem or an Italian national anthem or a Spanish national anthem? Oh, does the Spanish national anthem fall along with the lines of the Hispanic national anthem? I don't think so. It's a little bit different. Or maybe the Cubans might want a different national anthem. You see what I'm getting at? So in this month, instead of us worrying about we sing a song and that's supposed to make everybody feel good, let's look at what is going on in the black community. Because once again, here we're about to see the month of February passed. And what have we, we done to look at some of the problems within the black community? Hmm? You know, we did a little piece about our dear friend Margaret Sanger, a white supremacist and racist, spoke at Klan rallies. The organization that she founded, Planned Parenthood, was founded basically to eliminate the human weeds, the unfit, Blacks, 
from existing here in the United States of America. I mean, she said that in her words. And if you don't remember, we can go back and we can show you again the quotes that we read from Margaret Sanger. And today, Planned Parenthood, an organization that is really has the blood on their hands of almost 25 million black babies dismembered in the womb since 1973 Roe v. Wade, is now headed up by a black woman, Alexis McGill Johnson. Now, she says that she recognizes the racist path, path of Planned Parenthood. What are you going to do about it, Alexis? I mean, last time I checked, 70 to 73 percent of Planned Parenthood clinics still in the black community. It's a really, really big headquarters building on the south side of Houston. Planned Parenthood at the top of it. It's not in the white community. It's in the black community. Not too far away from Texas Southern University. What are you going to do about it? I mean, we can sing a song, lift every voice and sing, but what about the voices of those little black babies that you can't hear when they're being dismembered in the womb? 25 million. How many Oprah Winfrey's? How many Martin Luther King Jr.'s? How many Patrick Mahomes? How many Alan West's? How many Condoleezza Rice's? How many Clarence Thomas's? Thurgood Marshall's? I can go on at nauseam at infinitum. Had their lives ended in the womb, the safest place where a child is supposed to grow because of the legacy of a white supremacist and the racist. And now, of course, Ms. Johnson, Alexis McGill Johnson, your organization that you head up, Planned Parenthood, you're into a new line of business, not just dismembering babies in the womb, but now you want to mutilate the bodies of children. That's your new line of business, this whole gender dysphoria thing and you know, God's creation, male, female, man, woman, little boy, little girl. You want to restructure that. You want to change that. Why are we talking about that in Black History Month? Why aren't we talking about the decimation of the traditional nuclear family? Oh, well, we can't talk about that, Colonel, because Black Lives Matter, the organization that was founded by avowed Marxist females that we put on the cover of Time magazine, Newsweek, all over the place. When, when was the last time we heard from them? Weren't they in some kind of legal problems because they took the donation money, and they use it to buy mansions and things of that nature. Oh, stop, you know, Colonel, come on now. You can't talk about that. You know, they had a right to take donor money and use it for whatever they want. But Black Lives Matter, these you know, women, they said that the traditional nuclear family was racist. Sounds to me like they've aligned themselves with Lyndon Baines Johnson, who began the decimation of the black community, which once upon a time, back 63 years ago, when I was born in February 1961, 75%, 77% two-parent household in the black community. Today, it is 24%. You can go back and trace Johnson's Great Society programs. You know, giving a woman who has a child out of wedlock a check. No matter how many children she has out of wedlock, the government will continue to give her a check, except there cannot be a working man in the home. Now today, it's like, what, 24%? Two-parent household in the black community just decimated it. So 
what does singing lift every voice and saying have to do with singing about the decimation of the black family or rectifying the situation of the decimation of the traditional nuclear black family? Because when you think about that, that has brought about so many of the ills that we see within the inner city community. No strong two-parent household. Because again, that's a symbol of white supremacy and racism. That's what these Black Lives Matter chicks said about Marxists. As a matter of fact, what does Karl Marx have to do with the black community? I mean, really? Two avowed Marxists being in charge of an organization called Black Lives Matter that is funded by a former Nazi collaborator by the name of George Soros. Man, let me tell you something. Why ain't we singing about that? Oh, Colonel, there you go again. Want to tell that truth stuff and upset folks and hold folks accountable. Yeah, that's what I do. That's what I'm called to do. But, you know, everybody's clapping. Yay, we sang Lift Every Voice and Sing before the Super Bowl. But our kids only have 24% two-parent households. And we have murdered close to 25 million black babies by dismemberment in the womb. But we got to sing Lift Every Voice and Sing at the Super Bowl this year. Oh, and we had a black guy singing the, the uh, halftime show at the Super Bowl. What does that have to do with the issue of education? Educational freedom, parental choice. You know, once upon a time, there was a political party in the United States of America, Democrat Party, that said to young black kids, you can't get into these schools. We don't care what the Supreme Court ruled with Brown versus the Board of Education. We still believe in Plessy versus Ferguson, 1896. Who cares about this 1954 Supreme Court ruling? You ain't getting into our schools in Arkansas. You ain't getting to our schools in Mississippi. You're not getting to our schools in Alabama, George Wallace standing there. You're not getting to our schools in Georgia, Lester Maddox, where I grew up. So this party once kept black kids from getting into quality institutions of education, separate but equal. That's what Plessy versus Ferguson said, which we all know that's a violation of the Constitution. That's not true. Now, today, the exact same people, Democrat Party, they don't want those kids to get out of those failing institutions of indoctrination. I mean, Randy Weingarten stands up and says that this whole thing about school choice is racist. <laughs> really? My parents made the choice as far as my education. C.W. Hill and John Pope were in our little community there, two public schools. They chose Our Lady of Lourdes Catholic School because they knew that the quality of education led to the equality of opportunity. It opens the doors so that I could, as the Army once said, and they've gone back to saying, be all you can be. But yet now we're telling young black kids stay stuck in these places where if you have not been paying attention, especially in the black community, all communities, but especially in the black community, we got kids not reading, doing math at grade level. Even the Baltimore NAACP, they're upset about that now. 
what, less than 10%, maybe even worse than that. In the Baltimore County School District, can read and do math at grade level, less than 10%. And like I said, maybe worse than that. So the Baltimore NAACP, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, which if you go back and you study, was founded by four white progressive socialists. How funny. And of course, to mask it, they put a black progressive socialist, W.E.B. Du Bois, in charge. Everyone talks about W.E.B. Du Bois in, in this month. Why aren't we talking about Booker T. Washington up from slavery? I mean, his story is more compelling. His story is more inspiring. W.B. Du Bois was never a slave. He was pretty much so a black intellectual elitist. But that's who we talk about. Because that's who the left wants to talk about. I mean, why don't we talk about, remember the movie Glory? Of course you remember the movie Glory. That's where Denzel Washington got his first Academy Award. I hadn't seen it playing too much on television in Black History Month. Oh, that's right. That's because the council culture people went and defaced the memorial to the 54th Massachusetts Regiment in Boston. Just like they tore down the statue of Frederick Douglass. Can't talk about Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass was an important advisor to President Abraham Lincoln. You know, the guy, first Republican president, made sure that we ended slavery. 13th Amendment. Well, guess who inspired Abraham Lincoln to write the Emancipation Proclamation, January 1863? Frederick Douglass. We ain't talking too much about him or Booker T. Washington. We ain't talking too much about Madam C.J. Walker, the first black female millionaire. Yeah, not, not Oprah Winfrey, Madam C.J. Walker. We're not talking about Henry O. Flipper, first black graduate from West Point. A Georgian, like yours truly, originally born there. We're not talking about Colonel Charles Young, the first black colonel in the United States Army. Daniel Chappie James, General Frank Peterson, first black Marine combat pilot. Even the movie Devotion that talked about the first black naval aviator. We don't hear people celebrating talking about that. Now they talk about the Black Mamba, Kobe Bryant. Okay, cool. Played basketball, did really good. Won a bunch of NBA championships. But what about the bigger picture for the community and the role model and the example thereof? I'd rather hear the story about Robert Smalls, the slave who stole a Confederate gunship during the Civil War. Never heard of him? I mean, you should look it up. See, we are too focused on the delusional pandering panacea of singing a song that's supposed to make us feel all warm and fuzzy. But it's not changing anything in the black community. And I got to be very honest. I mean, it's, you're starting to see it. I mean, Joe Biden, they're freaking out. I mean, Joe Biden's approval rating and polling in the black community has gone from 90 to 92% down into the mid-60s. So what did they do? They invited a black man and his two sons into the White House to have a chicken dinner. 
Winner, winner, chicken dinner with Joe Biden. But Joe decided to get a hamburger instead. <laughs> I mean, come on, folks. You can't make this stuff up. Look at Joe, man. I, I'm really, you know, trying to win over the black community. I'm going to have this black guy and his two sons in the White House, and we're going to have fried chicken. Donald Trump had done that. The leftist media would be screaming from the rafters. But what did Donald Trump do? Economic empowerment zones in the black community. Of course, in many of those black communities, inner city communities, they squandered the money. Biggest financial relief package to historical black colleges and universities. Barack Obama never did that. The second black president, because I remember Bill Clinton saying he was the first black president. But we sing songs, and that's supposed to make us feel good. So what's going to happen? We got a few days left in this Black History Month 2024. Are we going to have some seminars and forums that talk about getting back to our first principles, our freedom and liberty principles? Are we going to talk about how we restore economic viability in our communities? Are we going to talk about how we restore educational freedom to the next generation? of young black boys and girls? Are we going to talk about how we're going to protect life, born and unborn, in the black community? Because all the left does is sit back and they wait for it. They're just dying. Got to have, give me a white cop to shoot a black guy. Please, please, please. I need that. I, we, we need that headline. Got to keep stoking the fires. But week upon week, weekend upon weekend, there's more black-on-black -black crime. You know, a liberal New York senator by the name of Daniel Patrick Moynihan warned Lyndon Baines Johnson and his progressive leftist allies what they would do to the black community because of these policies they were pushing. He wrote it in a little book called The Negro Family. Everything that Daniel Patrick Moynihan who once said that you're entitled to your own opinions, but not your own facts. I think we should apply that today. But everything that Daniel Patrick Monaghan said in that book has come true. But the leftists went after him tooth and nail. And so our inner cities have become a 21st century economic plantation. Thanks to the same party they created the first plantations in the United States of America. So another Black History Month will come and go. But the bottom line is that will the black community wake up and finally decide that they want to be victors and not victims? Will they finally decide that they will not put all their political capital into one political party that when you look at their history, they are the party of white supremacy, they are the party of racism, Jim Crow, segregation, all of these things, lynchings. Remember it was Woodrow Wilson, Princeton University president who later became president of the United States of America, really the first progressive president that we had. He was the one that showed the film Birth of a Nation, which was the story of the Ku Klux Klan in the White House. It wasn't Abraham Lincoln. It wasn't Calvin Coolidge. It wasn't Ronald Reagan. It wasn't Donald Trump. 
It was a Democrat president that showed a movie in the White House lauding the Ku Klux Klan, which was founded by the Democrat Party to create voter intimidation against blacks. You know, I was honored to be the second black Republican member of Congress from the state of Florida. Byron Donalds is now the third. But the first black Republican member of Congress from the state of Florida was a former slave by the name of Josiah T. Walls. See, the first black members of the United States Congress, House and Senate, they weren't Democrat. They were Republican. Because the Republican Party was founded in 1854 on one single issue, and that was to abolish the end slavery. Now the mission has to be is to end economic slavery and end the threats to lives in the black community, born and unborn. Those lives matter too, you young ladies, you Marxists that are just pandering, dancing to the tune of white progressive socialists, being financed by a guy like a George Soros. One day I just hope that there will be a Black History Month before I die where we will not fall for the delusional, pandering panacea of singing the song. That we will remember the strength of the black community lied in its families, in its economic viability, in its education, in its dedication to service, sacrifice, and commitment to this country by way of wearing the uniform of this country, to individual responsibility and accountability. Because if we can get back to those first principles, if we can get back to the, well, three pillars of Booker T. Washington, education, entrepreneurship, and self-reliance, then the black community in the United States of America, and indeed all communities in America, will be steadfast and loyal. Before they burn it down